Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord, and we want to bring you back with us today to Italy at the dawn of the 20th century to a very brave girl and powerful saint, Maria Goretti, the white and crimson rose of Jesus. The name of Maria Goretti has a very special place in our hearts. Her story conjures up overwhelming emotions, great desires to bring ourselves to Jesus and his mother Mary as pure buds, ready to flower into any vocation they choose for us. Maria Goretti was definitely a contradiction in terms. She was a paradox. We are told that she could not possibly live in this, the last decade of the 20th century, and yet she is a product of our century. Either she is completely out of sync or we are condemned for the apathy we portray to our children by our behavior. Either Maria Goretti was wrong or we're wrong. Is it possible that we could be wrong? But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. To begin at the beginning of the short but brilliant life in the Lord, we have to go to the far north and east of Italy, the Marques, the harsh area around Ancona and the Adriatic Sea to Coronaldo. We know the story of Maria Goretti with surface knowledge. But there are two other virtues of Maria Goretti which are so subtle they get lost in the shadow of giving her life. One of them was selflessness. She cared more about her eternal soul than her bodily safety. And possibly even more than that, she cared about the soul of her attacker more than her own life. As we get into the woeful story of her life and death, we can't help but realize that part of the reason for her determination not to give in to Alessandro Serenelli was for his salvation. Maria Goretti was a good little girl, a pure little girl. At 11 years old, she had such a love relationship with Jesus that she would rather die than allow her chastity to be compromised. St. Maria Goretti was born in a little house in Coronaldo, Italy, near the Adriatic Sea, actually near Loreto, on October the 16th, 1890. This little girl was born in abject poverty of parents who loved her and loved our Lord. In their little house could be seen the sacred heart of Jesus. They prayed the rosary together. They were holy people. And like so many of the people of Italy, they could not make a living there. It was impossible. The farming was almost impossible. The summertime is beautiful. We bring pilgrims to this part of Italy in July and it's breathtakingly beautiful. But the winters are severe, the winds off the Adriatic, which in the summertime give us that slight breeze which cools off the afternoons, become gale storms in the winter, icy winds cutting through the land, making it impossible to till the soil. Maria's father tried hard to make a go of it, but it was an uphill fight. And so he told his wife Assunta that they had to leave that part of Italy and go somewhere where they could support their family. Now, they were both from Coronaldo, and neither wanted to leave family and friends. However, Assunta gave in to Luigi's pressure because another family in the same dire circumstances was willing to go with them. And so the two families set out for Rome. They thought that that was the Mecca, where it was all going to happen. And of course, it didn't happen. They got to Rome to find out that they were like fish out of water. They were country people, and this was the city, and not at all what they expected, and not at all what they wanted. So they got out of Rome as quickly as they could. They heard that a landowner in the area of Netuno 
was willing to do sharecropping with people who would work the land. The family moved to La Ferriere, which is outside of Netuno, because they could not feasibly return to Coronaldo. The landowner gave them a house to live in. At the beginning, the father, Luigi, was able to take care of it by himself, but he became ill, and although he was hardly able to move, he worked as industriously as he could, but he could not handle all the crops. Consequently, the owner of the farm asked Alessandro Serenelli and his father to help Luigi bring in the crops. In effect, they became partners with them. He tried to keep up with them so he could maintain his partnership. If he were not able to, he would lose everything. He desperately tried until he became so ill that he could not get out of bed. Then Mama Asunta took over the role of being the man and took his place in the field with Alessandro and his father Giovanni. Now, Alessandro slept in the same house as Maria. His room was not far from hers. His bedroom was next to the kitchen, and Maria slept in the bedroom on the other side of the kitchen. It was not the most prudent thing to do, but there really was no other choice. Alessandro was a strapping youth of 18 with a great deal of strength. He did a great deal of work and spent most of his off time in his room, reading, as it was learned later, books about violence and war, rape and lust. These were just the things that Asanta did not want her child to be exposed to. But no one knew about this until it was too late, and the situation was forced on them because Luigi was so sick. As the father was dying, he warned Maria's mother, "'Get out of here. Go back to Coronaldo.' But she couldn't go. It was impossible. They didn't have the money. They never seemed to get out of debt, so they had to work feverishly just to make ends meet. As soon as she became old enough, Asunta gave her daughter Maria the chore of get going into Netuno to do the shopping for the family. This is how Maria became so well-known to the villagers. Everyone loved Maria. They affectionately called her Marietta, or Little Maria. Many of the townspeople recalled good things about Maria, which they had noted. She was always very polite and friendly. She never tarried, but took care of her errands and returned home to her mother. She was adorable. Many of the storekeepers would give her little treats. Luigi's health went downhill to the point where he could not even gather enough strength to get out of bed. He contracted the diseases which were prevalent in the area, malaria and meningitis. Towards the end of April 1900, he took to his bed for the last time. His condition deteriorated drastically, so badly that they had to call the priest and give him the last sacraments of the church. When her father died, Maria threw herself into the task of helping her mother. She knew what was needed and that there was no time for the luxury of mourning her dear father, whom she loved with all her heart. But we wonder if her pillow wasn't wet each evening with the tears she shed for the loss of such an important person in her life. Maria wanted to receive her first Holy Communion. If she had a passion in her life, it was to be as close to Jesus as is humanly possible. She knew the only way she could do that was by receiving his body and blood, soul and divinity in the Eucharist. In those days, the normal age for a person to receive Holy Communion was 12. But Maria, at age 11, pressed her mother to allow her to take instructions. 
For eleven months, Maria, with the help of her mother and all God's angels, in the forms of priests and well-intentioned instructors, learned what she needed for that special time that would come when she would receive her Lord Jesus. As the time grew closer, Asunta had misgivings. She asked the local priest to make the decision. After speaking to Maria, the priest said to Asunta, Be at ease, good mother. Your daughter is very well prepared. Put away all your vain fears and confide her to Mary Immaculate. Place her under the Virgin's protective mantle and have no fear. The day she received First Holy Communion was the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Body of Christ. Maria was full of anticipation. She did a beautiful but unusual thing. She went to every member of her family, including Giovanni and Alessandro, and asked forgiveness for anything she may have ever done to offend them. She did the same with all the neighbors. The only sense we have of the profound impact this encounter with God had on Maria was that when all the other children ran into the sacristy to thank the priest, Maria remained behind in the church, lost in the embrace of Jesus, Mary, the angels, and the saints. We're told the only sad part of this momentous occasion was how very much she missed her father. We have to think that he was there embracing his daughter with the entire assemblage of heaven. As Maria advanced in years, she developed into a beautiful young lady. In addition to the inner beauty which could be seen by everyone she encountered, her outer beauty was blinding. Add to that the fact that she was obviously taken by Jesus. She was the flawless child of Jesus, and that made her more desirable. Anyone who is not attainable is most desirable. This was the case with Alessandro Serenelli. Maria's problem with Alessandro did not just begin after she received First Holy Communion. To the contrary, she could feel the lustful burning of his eyes on her from the time the Serenelli's moved into the house. The question with, which came up so many times after the fact was why she didn't tell someone when it first began. The answer was that the Gorettis were in a no-win situation. Had Maria said anything to anyone, to her mother or to Alessandro's father, it would have just made the situation that much worse. Even if she had been believed, it would have made insurmountable problems. And so she remained silent. He had made advances to her which she was able to ward off. He threatened to kill her if she told anyone. She was very uncomfortable with him, but felt she could handle the situation. However, it began seriously getting out of hand at this time. Under normal conditions, Alessandro worked out in the fields, and Maria stayed in the house, taking care of her infant sister and preparing meals for the family. However, whenever he could, Alessandro managed to get back to the house where he would attempt to force himself on her. Now, she had been able to control the situation, but one day Asunta did not feel well. She asked Maria to take her place in the field. Maria jumped at the opportunity to get out of the house and work in the field, but what she failed to consider was that Alessandro would be there too. While they were working in one section side by side, he came over and grabbed her arm. He was angry. His eyes were crazy. He was talking what she conceived as gibberish. Finally, she understood what he wanted. 
She summoned all her strength, broke loose from him, and ran into the fields, hiding behind a large hedge. She stayed frozen to the spot until lunchtime when she went into the house with the others. He kept giving her that look that warned her not to say a word or he would kill her. After lunch, when they all went back into the field, she hid out in the barn for hours. A real sense of panic entered into her heart. She, who had never been afraid of anything, became frightened whenever she was near him or whenever she was alone. Her beautiful eyes were dead. That special smile which lit up a room was no more. She was in a constant state of panic. She looked for ways to avoid him during the following week. He looked for ways to be close to her, alone with her. Saturday, July 5th, 1902, was a very hot day in the marshes. Everyone was tired. It had been a long week. Today had been like any other workday, only now... Maria was working back in the house, taking care of her infant sister, preparing the meals and the like. After lunch, everyone went out into the fields. Maria was mending a shirt Alessandro had given her. She was at the top of the landing outside the house, praying for a gentle breeze to relieve the heat. Alessandro had a plan that day. He made an excuse after lunch when they were going back out into the fields. He returned to the house, went into his room, and took out a ten-inch stiletto knife, brought it to the barn, and sharpened it. Each time he had to pass Maria Goretti. She was very nervous having him in the house with her, with just her and her baby sister, Teresa. She had always avoided him like the plague, ever since he tried to attack her for the first time out in the fields. He came up to her and said, "'Come into the house. I want to speak to you.' She said, "'No. What do you want to speak to me about?' Alessandro dragged Maria Goretti into the kitchen and tried to rape her. When she tried to resist his advances, he took the stiletto which he had brought in with him from the barn and threatened her with it. When she refused to give in to him, he stabbed her 14 times in the chest and in the stomach. And as he was trying to rape her, she begged him to stop. She told him it was a sin and he would go to hell. And then, as he threatened her with the knife, she begged him again, Please, for your own soul, do not do this. She was concerned about his soul. She didn't say to him, Don't do it, you're going to kill me. She said, Don't do it, you're going to go to hell. You see, she was more concerned about him and his soul than she was about her own well-being, her physical well-being. She had been taking care of her little sister, Teresa, when Alessandro dragged her into the kitchen. The child began to scream because she needed attention, and Giovanni, Alessandro's father, who had been asleep under the stairway, came up to see where Maria was. He saw her laying on the floor of the kitchen bleeding. He knew that she had been attacked and called Maria Assunta to come to the house. When they took Maria to the hospital, she was still speaking. They asked her who did this, and she said it was Alessandro. As she was dying, the priest came and gave her the last rites, her viaticum. He asked her, Do you forgive, Alessandro? And our little saint said, Yes. I desire that one day he will be with me in heaven. So her last words were words of forgiveness. Alessandro insisted for eight years that he had nothing to do with it. He hated priests, and then after a while... He started to revel in the fact that he had murdered her. 
Maria appeared to him one night in prison in a dream. At this, he had a complete conversion. He became a model prisoner as, and was then released three years earlier than his sentence. He had been sentenced to 30 years because he was a juvenile. He was less than 21 years old. Because of good behavior, he stayed in prison for 27 years. The final resting place for this beautiful, beautiful little saint, Maria Goretti, was the Basilica of Our Lady of Grace in Nettuno. She was buried locally in 1902 on the day she died. But then in 1929, the Passionist Fathers asked permission to have the body brought and venerated in that church. They had prepared her for her First Holy Communion, and it was under their jurisdiction that she received First Holy Communion. They also gave her the final blessings of the church, and so it was fitting that they be allowed to venerate the future saint at their church. This church has become the permanent sanctuary for St. Maria Goretti and an important shrine for pilgrims. After visiting there, we began bringing pilgrims to Nettuno and La Ferriere also. At a time when parents are giving their children contraceptives because they are told the children are going to have sex anyway, at a time when the world has gone mad, a saint comes to us, a saint of chastity, a saint who died rather than lose her virginity and her chastity, a saint who was praying for her assailant as she died. This was not a saint of the 15th or 16th century. This is a saint of the 20th century. Maria Goretti is of our time. She was canonized in 1950. Where have we gone and what have we become in the last 90 years that we've gone from a saint who would give up her life for purity to today where there's no talk about purity or chastity or sin in the schools or even in the churches or in the homes? People are not teaching their children about morality. Here is a saint who is willing to give up her life for her morals. Bob used the word sin. Maria Goretti used the word sin. This is a sin. You will go to hell, Alessandro. Today we're being told there is no hell. There is hell. There is sin. And so it's very essential that we listen to the story of Maria Goretti, that we take it to heart and try to follow this role model, not the role models we see so very often in the media. While we were in Natuno making this program for radio and television, we spoke to the local priest, Father Giovanni Alberti, who is the custodian of the shrine. He expressed his joy that we would be presenting the story of Maria Goretti to the people of the United States. Maria was always a Christian. She was always a child of God. She always lived the Christian way, as we have heard in the retelling of her story. We were reminded by Father Alberti that it was not just the few moments at the time of her death that this purity, this conversion, this chastity came about. No, from the day she was born, she lived the life of a chaste, Christian young woman. Her mother, Asunta, was called a saint by a pope. Her father was a very holy man. So a great deal has to do with the example we receive from our parents, from our brothers and sisters. 
The parents of this child brought her up in the faith with all the stories of the saints, with all the beauty of our faith. These are the things we have to give our children. We are responsible for our children and our grandchildren. It is our responsibility as parents and grandparents to give them an education in the faith. We may have a saint with the morals of Maria Goretti in our own homes. And you, the youth of the world, is Christ calling you to be a sign, a sign in this world, so that someday you will meet Maria Goretti and she will usher you into heaven so that you can meet her Lord, your Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ? On his deathbed, Luigi Goretti had told his wife Assunta to leave La Ferriere and go to Coronaldo. So after the death of her beloved daughter, there was nothing left for her in La Ferriere, and she returned to her birthplace. She went back to Coronaldo because that was her home. And Alessandro Serenelli, after he was released from prison, came back to Coronaldo because it was his home. He begged forgiveness for what he had done. And Asunta said, Maria forgave you. How could I do any less? As a mother of a child who died at the hands of his supposed friends, I have to say that Maria's mother is truly a saint and that a saint begot a saint. Asunta was a true saint to forgive this young man. When Pius XII canonized Maria Goretti, he gave a great deal of the credit to her mother. He as much as said she was a living saint. She was there at the canonization of her daughter. Maria Goretti is definitely a patron of youth, of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. She is a saint, a role model, most especially for our times a young woman who would rather die than lose her virginity. At her canonization in 1950, Pope Pius XII said, You fathers and mothers tell me, in the presence of this vast multitude, and before the image of this young virgin who has stolen your hearts, are you ready to assume your solemn duty to watch over your sons and daughters, to preserve and defend them against so many dangers that surround them, and to keep them away from places where they might learn the practices of impiety and perversion. During the last 50 years, coupled with what was often a weak reaction on the part of decent people, there has been a conspiracy of evil practices propagating themselves in books and illustrations, in theaters and radio programs, in styles and clubs and on the beaches, trying to work their way into the heart of the family and society and doing their worst damage among our youth. Oh, Your Holiness, if you only knew. What lunacy. What complete lunacy. And this lunacy has taken over the world today. Our Pope John Paul II tells us we are living in a culture of death. Let it be finished. We can change the world. We must change the world. Our young people are dying by the droves. They're killing each other. Statistically, there are more youth-related murders than adult murders. We must change the world. 
We must bring back the morality of Maria Goretti to the young people of today, to the adults of today, for that matter. People of the world, children of God, you are made in his image. Live as Maria Goretti lived, always with a vision of God. He was always ever-present to her, especially from that day when she received him in, his, in her first Holy Communion. Live with this vision of God and do not compromise. If I would say there was a word for Maria Goretti, it would be without compromise. Is that your word? Take that to your heart without compromise. Have the courage that Maria Goretti had to say no. You are beautiful. You are precious. When we think of this world and we think of the death of the age of innocence, we ask ourselves, how did it happen? How did we get here? Sometimes, Bob and I feel like uh, we've been asleep for 50 years and we've awakened like Rip Van Winkle into a world we no longer recognize. I have, if I had one word to say to you young people, it's that you have a friend, a true friend in our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. Go to Jesus. You can trust Jesus. Your friends will let you down. They will betray you. They will disappoint you. Jesus will never, ever let you down. Our Pope John Paul II said, you are the church of today. Pick up your torch and we will follow you. We love you. We love you. God bless you. God bless you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the app store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.